You might turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11 and in verse 23. Acts chapter 11 and in verse 23, the text says that when Barnabas came to Antioch and had seen the grace of God. The church had been established there at Antioch. And Barnabas comes and when he had seen the grace of God, the text says. Have you seen the grace of God? If someone were to ask you, have you seen the grace of God? Can you say, yes, I have seen it. I, like Barnabas, have seen the grace of God. The grace of God cannot be seen with the human eye. It's not something that someone can pull out of a box and say, here's some grace of God. I want to show it to you. Not something you carry in your pocket. And yet it's so obvious you cannot help but see the grace of God. And that was the case with Barnabas. In Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 6, it's possible to hear and know the grace of God. Paul was thankful they had heard and knew the grace of God. You can hear and you can know the grace of God. Have you heard? Do you know the grace of God? Titus 2 says, the grace of God has appeared unto all men. It's appeared unto you. You can see it. You can hear it. You can know it. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes talking about the true grace of God. And that's interesting. He didn't just talk about the grace of God, but the true grace of God. That implies that there could be some false concepts about grace. I'm writing about the true grace of God. Someone might be offering something about the grace of God that's not true. But this is the true grace of God. Have you seen the grace of God? Let's talk this morning about the grace of God. A subject found from beginning to end, from the book of Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation and all in between. Talks about the grace of God. Let's begin talking about its nature. What's it like? What is it? What are we talking about? Some have a misconception about grace that it's some kind of, some kind of handout that is unconditional. Maybe that's the idea some have. What is the nature of the grace of God? Let's begin by defining the grace of God. The grace of God is undeserved favor. Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary says this, favor or kindness shown without regard to the worth or merit of the one who receives it. And in spite of what that same person deserves. Now that's not accurate because it comes from Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. But I thought they illustrated or they defined and got the concept of what grace is. Let's read that again. It is favor or kindness shown without regard to the worth or the merit of the one who receives it. And in spite of what the person deserves. International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says the word charis, that's the word translated grace, 
like the true grace of God, 1 Peter 5, 12, that's the word. That when this is used with the meaning of favor, nothing at all is implied as to whether or not that favor is deserved. Now that doesn't contradict what Nelson just said. Get the picture. The word that is translated grace within itself doesn't say within itself whether it's deserved. It just means kindness that is shown. Sweetness, some have translated it. It is the idea of favor that is displayed. You might show favor to someone who deserves that favor. And that's grace. Let's go further. The word itself doesn't imply whether the favor is deserved, but the word has abundant use in secular Greek. That is, secular writings of Greek other than New Testament writings. It has an abundant use there in the sense of unmerited favor, and Paul seizes on this meaning of the word to express a fundamental characteristic of Christianity. And they're correct about that. Let's go to the Bible now and get a biblical picture that that's exactly how this term is used. We're trying to understand grace. We'll talk about what grace does for us in a moment. We're just trying to get the concept now. What is grace? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15 verses 9 and 10. This is not actually talking about salvation. But what this is talking about is the idea of Paul becoming an apostle. And he talks about grace in this context. Look at verse 9. I am the least of all apostles and I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, but, look at verse 10. By the grace of God I am what I am. Now what did Paul just say? He said he was unworthy to be an apostle. Why would you say that, Paul? Because I used to persecute the church. I don't deserve to be an apostle. I'm unworthy to be an apostle. But I am an apostle anyway. How did you get to be an apostle even though you didn't deserve to be one? He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. That passage defines and crystallizes for me the concept that grace is undeserved favor that is shown. No way he deserves to be. No way he earned that. And yet he was given that anyway. That is the idea of grace. I want to suggest to you that grace shines brightest against the backdrop of the wrath of God. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. If you could picture a painting where you have the darkest background, the bleakest background that represents the wrath of God, And coming out of that background is the brilliance and the brightness of the grace of God. So here is the wrath of God. Chapter 1 beginning at verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And then there's a whole host of sins that stirs the wrath of God. So here's the picture. Here's what sin does. It stirs the wrath of God. May I again suggest to you that grace shines brightest against that backdrop and that background of the wrath of God being stirred. But let's go further. It's undeserved favor. Let's go to Titus 3, and perhaps you already have this marked in your Bible from previous studies, or maybe a textual study from Titus 3. But if you don't, this would be a good time to do this. And to mark some parallel phrases that define for me what grace is and what grace involves. Let's go to Titus 3 beginning at verse 3. We're going to appeal to this text a couple of times in our study today. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. 
But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured forth on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now I want to look at some parallel phrases. We're coming back later to where Paul says in Titus chapter 3 and uh, verse 3, we lived an ungodly life. But get that in the background just for a moment. But he says here we were able to change. How were you able to change, Paul? He says, but when the kindness and love of God. In other words, we were ungodly, but there's something that allowed us to change. What was it? The kindness of God, he said. Might underline that. And then go over and look at the love of God. I'm not saying those are synonymous terms, but they are connected. It's the kindness and the love of God that allowed us to become who we are. What else do you say, Paul? He says it is not by works of righteousness which we have done. We did not deserve that. In other words, we haven't worked toward and now I earn and I am owed salvation somehow. I didn't deserve it at all. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to His mercy, He saved us. God's compassion, He saved us. He felt with us and for us in our, in our fight against sin. Now notice what He calls the kindness and love, not something we deserve, and His mercy, that having been justified by His grace. Now I'm understanding what grace involves. I'm not saying these all mean the same thing, but when he's talking about the kindness of God and the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God, he seems to use those synonymously in this context. So here's what I've just learned from that context. Here's some parallel expressions to grace. What do you mean by the grace of God? I'm talking about the kindness of God. I'm talking about the love of God. I'm talking about not by our own righteousness, and I'm also talking about the mercy of God. And then later at verse 7, he calls all of that the grace of God. We're trying to come to an understanding of the nature of grace. Let's talk about the fact that it's abundant. What do you mean it's abundant? Well, let's go to the book of Romans chapter 5. This ought to be familiar. We just came through the book of Romans in our Bible study just recently. So Romans 5 were to be familiar to us. So go to Romans 5 and verse 17. The text says that there is an abundance of grace. Look at verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who receive abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness. All I want you to see is there is such a thing as an abundance of grace. Same opening, go to verse 20. Go to verse 20. Verse 20 says, There is more grace than there is sin. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where, notice this, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. What's he saying? You take the amount of, the amount of sin that's in the world, there's more grace than that. I don't know how you measure sin. And what kind of unit you would use. But whatever unit you measure sin, there's much more grace than that. And there's a whole lot of sin in the world, isn't there? So you look at how corrupt the, the world is. How sinful the world is. How terrible the sin is. However great that is, there is more grace than there is sin. Here's what I'm learning from that. I'm learning that there's not a limited supply. 
Do you ever see something advertised and then you, you go to the website or you go to the store and then they've just sold out? They had a limited supply. They, they ran out before you got there. And it's not the kind of thing where you go to the grace of God and say, I need some grace. Well, we just ran out of grace. There's only so much to go around. We don't have enough for everybody. There's an abundance of grace. There's not a limited supply. So what do I learn about the nature of grace? It has to do with God's goodness toward us that we did not deserve. I hear Christians sometimes talk as if they think they deserve to be saved. And others think, you know what, I don't think I can ever go to heaven because I don't deserve that. You know what, no one deserves that. If you're saved at all, it is by the grace of God. Let's come to an understanding of what grace involves. An old Indian was asked once to explain what grace is. Without saying a word, he made a circle of dry straw around an insect, a bug, and then set it on fire. The bug began to run one direction and then to another, and there was no way to escape. The old Indian took a stick and stuck down in the middle of the circle of the fire. And pretty quickly the bug began to crawl up the stick and he was lifted to safety. And then the old Indian said, that, my friends, is grace. Not parallel in all respect, but it does illustrate grace. We are trapped by the fire of the wrath of God. No way to escape. And God reaches down with his grace and gives us a way to lift us out of that tragedy of the burden of sin. Let's talk about a second thing about grace. What's the goal of grace? Now, it has to do with God's favor, undeserved, that he bestows upon us. But what's he trying to accomplish with that? You see, you may show grace to someone, and you're trying to make them a better person. You may show grace to someone, and maybe your motive is you're trying to embarrass them because they didn't show grace towards you. See, there could be different motives. What's God's goal in this? Why is he trying to show grace? What's the goal of grace? Let's open our Bibles and look at some very familiar text. His goal is that he might save us and that we might be justified by grace. Let's go to the book of Romans, if you will, chapter 3, Romans 3, and let's look at verse 24. Romans 3 and in verse 24. I just want to get the concept before us, which you already know, but let's see in the text. God's purpose of his grace is that he might save us. Romans 3, 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption in Christ Jesus. Now let's go again to the book of Romans, chapter 5, if you will, verses 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's go to another New Testament text, this time to the book of Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 7. Ephesians 1 and in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood... The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. The forgiveness of sins is according to the riches of His grace. Let's go to chapter 2 now, same book, Ephesians chapter 2, 
And notice in verses 7 and 8 that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's go to another text, one more along that line. Let's go to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2, and notice at verse 11 and verse 12. Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation, here's the goal, it brings salvation, has appeared unto all men. Now we'll come back and get verse 12 a little bit later. I'm just wanting you to see, and more passages could be cited, the goal of God's grace is that he might bring man salvation and might justify him by his grace. Now let's go to Titus chapter 3 again and notice the context of Titus chapter 3. Beginning at verse 3. The grace of God allows us to change. I want you to get this picture before we go to the text. Some have a concept. I've messed my life up. I've made wrong choices. I've gone in the wrong direction. I've messed up and that's all I can do. I'm stuck. I'm in a rut. There's nothing I can do. And yet Titus 3 illustrates that it's the grace of God that allows you to come out of that rut and make a change in your life. So the grace of God allows you to make changes. So let's go to Titus chapter 3 beginning at verse 2. <clears throat> verse 3 rather. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, <clears throat> deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. What's Paul say? Paul said, here's what we were. I used to live this way myself, he said. I was sinful, I was disobedient, I mistreated other people. That's back when he persecuted Christians. Now look at verses 4 through 7. Grace and kindness and love and mercy appeared. Notice what he says. But, but, in contrast to what I used to do, when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, that involved his mercy, verse 5. That involved his grace, verse 7. Now what's happened, Paul? Look at verse 7. That having been justified by His grace, we have become heirs together to the hope of eternal life. We have changed to the point now that I now have the hope of eternal life. What he's saying is, the grace of God allowed me to change. I don't live like that anymore. I don't have to live with the guilt of that anymore. It's all gone. How could you do that, Paul? He said it was by the grace of God. Well, let's go to Romans chapter 3. There is a great misunderstanding of the contrast drawn in Galatians 3, but I'm really talking about Romans 3. Both passages make this contrast. Between justified by the law and justified by faith, and where grace fits in. The law is talking about mere law and the law of Moses, not the fact whether or not we're under law. We're obviously under law, James 1 verse 25. Now, justification in this context deals with being pronounced free of guilt. How is that done? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. Here's what Paul said. That's not pronounced by the law of Moses. It's not pronounced by keeping the Old Testament law. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. Look at verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. So it is not possible by the law of Moses to be justified by keeping the law. Now let's go 
to Leviticus 18.5. I'm not going to go read that. It just simply says the one who keeps the law uh, is justified by that, or that's a, a paraphrase of that. That justify, justification by the law involved perfect obedience to the law. Leviticus 18.5. Now let's go to verse 21. We cannot be justified by faith, and that involves the grace of God. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now let's get the picture of the contrast. If you didn't follow that as we were reading that, let's get the contrast. There's a system of law versus a system of faith. The system of law involved justification by perfect obedience to the law. There was no provision for failure. And if you were justified by the law, it was because of your works you kept the law perfectly, Romans eleven six. 6. Paul said, this is not how we're justified. We're justified by faith. What does he mean? Justification by being forgiven of your sins, not because you didn't commit sin. There is provision for failure. Therefore, it is of faith, Romans 4, 16, that it might be by grace. That is, grace and mercy and faith fit together. The gospel is presented as justification by faith, but it is a system of grace, being forgiven of sin. That's indeed how we are justified. So what is the goal? What is the goal? The goal is to deliver us from sin and to allow us to change. We're going to insert a couple of songs in the middle of this. This is one that Nathan's fixing to leave for us. Grace is greater than all of our sin. I want us to focus on how much grace is involved. How much greater it is than our sin. It's going to be on the screen before you. Let's sing the song. Oh, marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was shed. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse with Freely bestowed on all 
about the provisions of grace. What does it provide for us? Let's start with the idea that it provides, first of all, a sacrifice for our sin, which we've just been singing about and that we've been talking about in our previous point. Sin, by the nature of what sin is, a violation of the law, demands that a penalty be paid. If there is no penalty, there is no law. God gave his only begotten son. You are familiar with John 3, 16. But at this juncture, I'm more interested in Hebrews 2 and in verse 9, that by the grace of God, he tasted death for every man. So what I'm learning from that is that the, what did grace provide for me? I know the goal of it is to bring salvation. I know that's what his goal was. But, but it brought provisions to get me to that end. What did he do? By the grace of God, he tasted death for every man. He provided a sacrifice to make the payment. He had Jesus to die so I don't have to. Here's a second thing he did. A second provision is the revelation of God's will. That's part of grace. We, we think of grace, we think, okay, he, he gives me salvation. But part of that provision was he gave me the revelation of his will. You see, it was God's plan of grace that has now been revealed. Where Paul said, I wrote a four and few words whereby when you read you may understand. It was in the context, by the way, of Ephesians 1, of God choosing us in him before the foundation of the world. That's God's grace. And he says it's been revealed. Been revealed. You see, the gospel is called the word of grace. Let's look at two or three passages. Let's go to the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 14, and let's go to verse 3. Therefore they stayed a, there a long time, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace. See, the gospel was called the word of His grace. The gospel is called the word of His grace. Let's go to another text. Let's go this time to Acts chapter 20. And let's look at verse 24 and then verse 32. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify, now are you reading with me, to the gospel of the grace of God. This is the gospel of the grace. Drop down to verse 32. This is Paul commending the gospel to the elders of the church at Ephesus. And he said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. You see this book you hold in your hands called the word of his grace. See, it's the grace of God that provided this revelation. So here's what I'm learning from that. To ignore the revelation is to ignore the grace of God. 
You see, you would recognize that if I just ignore salvation being offered, said I'm not interested in salvation, I'm ignoring the grace of God. But quite often we want to be saved and we want to talk about being saved. We want to talk about going to heaven, but we want to ignore the revelation of God. When I ignore the revelation of God, I'm ignoring the grace of God. I'm saying, no, I'm not interested in your grace because it was grace that provided a revelation. Closely connected, grace made a provision of teaching and instruction. Let's go to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Go to Titus chapter 2 with me, if you will. In Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation. That same grace. Not a different grace. The same grace that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. What does it do? Teaching us. What's taught us? The grace of God taught us. That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and godly and righteous in the present age. All right, the grace of God teaches us. What did it teach us? It teaches us to deny ungodliness and lust. So any requirement that says do not go after ungodliness, do not go after lusting after things that are evil, don't do things that are ungodly, all of that is a matter of the grace of God. The grace of God taught us that. But that's not all that it taught us. It taught us that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age. That we should have a serious approach to life. That we should live pure and holy before God. That's a matter of the grace of God. Here's something I'm learning. Watch this carefully. Every restriction and prohibition that is given in the New Testament is by the grace of God. Someone said, I tell you what I need. I need a dose of the grace of God. I, I, I just feel down and I need the grace of God is what I... I need to hear a sermon on grace. Every sermon you hear in every class that deals with restrictions and prohibitions is by the grace of God. Because grace teaches us to deny ungodliness worldly lust. Watch this now. Every commandment and instruction is by the grace of God. You see, the command to assemble or the command to observe the Lord's Supper or the command to forgive. You say, I don't need all that. that I, I don't need to hear all this commandment stuff. You see, that is the grace of God that's telling you to do that. That's the grace of God. So to resist the prohibition, to resist the commandment, is to resist the grace of God. We're talking about provisions of grace. What did it provide for us? It provided a sacrifice, the revelation of God's will, teaching and instruction. Here's something else it provides. A mediator that pleads our cause. A mediator is one who stands between two parties. Who well understands the side of both parties. Jesus is our mediator because He's deity, but He also became flesh and He knows what it's like to be man and to face the temptations of man. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7 and in verse 12. He ever lives to make intercession for us. We do not have a mediator like a high priest of the Old Testament that might die on us. And now we need to look and find us another mediator. But we're looking at a mediator that ever lives and will never die to make intercession for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He allows us to come to the throne of His grace. By the way, that's in the context. That's in a context of your traveling and making your journey through the wilderness, so to speak, of the parallel to the Old Testament. You're making your journey through the wilderness to your promised land, and there are going to be struggles, and there are going to be trials and tribulations, and you're going to need some help, and you can come to the throne of grace in time of need. What kind of provisions have been made? 
the Father's planning, the Son's execution, and the Spirit's revelation are the provisions that have been made through grace. But finally, let's talk about its meaning to us. What does grace mean to you? When someone mentions the grace of God, oh, isn't the grace of God wonderful? What does that grace mean to you? What does it mean to you? Is the grace of God something that you say, you know what, I'm thankful for it. In fact, not only am I thankful for it, I'm absolutely amazed at it. Do you take it for granted? Oh yeah, there's grace, but big deal. Do you rejoice because of grace? Is it something you've pushed aside and you're not really interested in the grace of God? What does it mean to you? Let's talk about some possible things now. Let's start with this. It's possible that you can receive the grace of God in vain. Go to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Actually, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. Where Paul... Well, I've got Galatians 6 1. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, where Paul was concerned that they may receive the grace of God in vain. Look at verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. 2 Corinthians 6 1. What's he saying? Well, it's possible the grace of God, since it appeared to all men, they come, some can receive it, but they receive it in vain. How so? Well, by turning from it, by rejecting it, by accepting it and then turning away from that which you are not appreciating it, not following the instructions, not following the prohibition. There are a number of ways in which we may receive it in vain. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and in verse 10. This is where Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he didn't receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, God extended His grace to me, allowing me to become an apostle, and I didn't reject that. I accepted it. I did not receive it in vain. Have you received the grace of God in vain? It's possible. What does it mean to you? Secondly, it can be set aside and frustrated. Let's go to Galatians 2. In Galatians 2, this is where Paul talks about how Peter had acted as a hypocrite, doing things he knew better than to do. And he said, I rebuked him for that. What did he say to him? Well, I don't know all that he said to him, but a good portion of what he said must be recorded right here in Galatians 2. And I notice in verse 21 that he said, I do not set aside, the King James says, frustrate the grace of God. Peter, what you're doing and what you're saying is setting aside and frustrating the grace of God. It's been extended to the Gentiles and you act like it hasn't been. You're setting aside the grace of God. You see, I could frustrate and set aside the grace of God. In other words, go against or contrary to Work against the grace of God. Are you working against the grace of God? It might be God's grace has been extended to this person and you act like they're not worthy of grace. You're frustrating the grace of God. What Peter did. Maybe it's because of their race. It may be because of their financial stature. Maybe because of their education level. It might be because I don't like them and I act like they're not worthy of the grace of God. They shouldn't receive the grace of God as if it's not for them, maybe. Maybe that's what it's all about. Here's something else. I can fall short of it, Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews chapter 12. Look at chapter 12 and in verse, verse 15. Looking diligently lest, someone, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. This is the warning of those who are discouraged and, and have a temptation to fall back. You can fall short of the grace of God. You, you can get close, then you fall short. Didn't quite make it. There's something else we can do with the grace of God. We can fall from it. That means we were in it, we received it, we experienced it, we enjoyed it, and then we fall from the grace of God. Could that happen to you? What does the grace of God mean to you? Let's look at another text. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. Or 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 1. Paul commended Timothy for that he are, encouraged him to be strong in the grace of God. It's an interesting phrase. Are you strong in the grace of God? It seems to be the opposite of falling from it or falling short or setting it aside or receiving it in vain. Are you strong in the grace of God? Do you appreciate the grace of God? Do you, do you take advantage of the grace of God? Do you respect the grace of God? Barnabas, when he came to Antioch, saw the grace of God... And he was glad. He saw the grace of God and he was glad. Have you seen the grace of God? And are you glad? What does it mean to you? Do you receive it? Are you ever thankful? Do you praise God for it? John Newton. Wrote Amazing Grace. We're going to sing this before we sing our invitation song. The message of Amazing Grace is a message of forgiveness and redemption. It's possible regardless of the sins committed. It's a message of being delivered from despair by the grace of God. The story of John Newton is quite interesting because he was a man that had no real religious conviction. Not religious at all, in fact. Not really even a believer in God. His mother died when he was young. He became a seaman at the age of 11. Joined his father's ship. Later was pressed into service into the Royal Navy. And later participated in slave trade. In Africa. What a gruesome job that was of rounding up slaves and taking them and selling them. And he was involved in that. And he later became disgusted at that. And he later did everything he could to reverse slavery. But that wasn't his turning point. One night in the midst of a terrible storm that battered his ship. So severely that he began to cry out to God that he wasn't even sure existed or not. And can you imagine that he turned to reading that very night a book about Christ? Not the Bible, but a book someone had written about Christ. Because he was so scared of the ship and the storm that he faced. And that night marked the beginning of his spiritual transformation. And so years later after that, he wrote a poem as an illustration for a sermon for New Year's Eve, or a New Year's sermon. And later someone put it to music. 
And that's the song, Amazing Grace. Let's sing it, and then we'll come back and talk about the invitation. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. grace of God mean to you? We've seen the nature of grace, what it does, the provisions of grace, the goal of grace. The grace of God has appeared unto all men. It's appeared unto you. If you're not a Christian, would you become one today and avail yourself of the grace of God? The grace of God is God's having his arms outstretched, begging and pleading for you to come. Would you do that even this very morning? Would you become a Christian? Would you be obedient to the gospel? It may be there's an erring child of God who needs to make correction and avail yourself of the grace of God. If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing? <laughs> 